Good morning again. I think Brandon's coming back next week. So this week, you have to deal with me. So, <laughs> Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this morning, we're continuing in our Summer in the Psalms series, um, bringing us up to Psalm 32, which is what I have been assigned to preach from today. Uh, and this psalm has been referred to as um, a penitential psalm, uh, of which there are seven. In other words, a psalm of great regret, of sorrow. I think more to the point, a psalm of repentance. And this morning, I want to ask you to do something that we normally find to be selfish, okay? And I want you to think about yourself. Um, and what I mean by that is that I want to ask you to listen to the words of Scripture um, and let the Word of God inform you. Let it guide you and even change your thinking about sin and repentance wherever your thinking may be um, skewed or where you may have determined that repentance uh, is unimportant or unnecessary or of, or of no value now that you have been saved. Um, after all, you've already repented, right? Uh, and this morning, I want to ask you not to think of others. That this That's weird. Don't think of others. But normally, we would want you to think of others. But in this context, I want you to think not about how this applies to everyone else or all the people in your life you know of that um, have driven you crazy or have sin in their life. Uh, yes, this applies to them, but I want us to do some self-reflection this morning. And I hope you will examine your thinking and your actions and your beliefs. And if those beliefs have departed from biblical truth, then bring them back. The Word of God is a gift to us. And how can we neglect to know and apply it in belief and practice. And today, let us examine ourselves and leave here changed by obedience to the truth. And yes, there is a heaviness to this psalm, but there is so much more to this psalm. There is also relief. There's freedom. There's joy. There's happiness. And my prayer is that even, even if you justly find conviction in these words today, that you will see God's offer of full pardon and restoration are also present. Why don't we benefit from this offer more frequently? Why don't we experience relief, freedom, joy, happiness, pardon, and restoration on a regular basis? Is it because we don't sin enough to need them? Certainly not. Okay, we sin quite frequently, thank you very much. So, why don't we receive these benefits more often? Well, it's because of our tendency to be like mules. Okay? Don't be a mule. That's the title for the sermon today. Don't be a mule. I'm not talking about a drug runner, okay? Uh, taking drugs. Don't do that either, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, don't be stubborn. Let's read together this morning Psalm 32. Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, as we come before your word this morning, I pray you would give us hearts and minds and ears to hear and understand. And Lord, I pray that the words of scripture this morning will convict where conviction needs to take place. I pray, Lord, that we would align our thinking with your word and not with what sounds good to us. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have given us this process of confession and repentance leading to restoration and right relationship. We absolutely need it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you have probably seen the original Star Wars trilogy. And when I say original, I mean the original, okay? 70s, right? The first three. I know they're not in the right order, okay? Uh, but if you've never seen any of the films in that saga, you wouldn't start with The Empire Strikes Back, okay? Because you'd be left with too many questions. You would have no idea why they're striking back and, and who they're striking back against, uh, Why is the empire so angry anyway? What happened that they feel the need to strike back? How did the Death Star get blown up? All these questions. You can't start with Return of the Jedi either because you wouldn't know why they were gone in the first place. Where did the Jedi go? Why did they leave? Did someone take them? What in the world is a Jedi? How did Han Solo get frozen in carbonite? Why does Luke have a mechanical hand? A lot of Really important questions. Okay, you would always be missing something. Okay, you, the story wouldn't make sense or be as meaningful or as compelling. And why should we care about rebel victory? Okay, it, it would be deprived of the powerful impact it could have in your thinking had you seen what led up to it. Now that's just silly. It's a movie, right? But in a similar way, Psalm 32 is like, part three in a trilogy. In order to understand where it came from, 
and see why it's important and for it to have the greatest impact on our thinking, we must know why it was written. What came before it? Okay, I'm pausing there because as I was thinking about asking that question, I thought for sure Mike Ogg would say, Psalm 31 came before it. <laughs> I don't know why when I prepare sermons, sometimes I think, what would Mike Ogg say here? <laughs> That's not the answer I'm looking for. Psalm 31 is not the answer I'm looking for. What came before it? This psalm is, is powerful because it comes out of the saga of David's sin with Bathsheba. Okay, part one is recorded in 2 Samuel 11, if you want to turn there with me. I'm going to camp out there for a bit. 2 Samuel 11, where we see a time when King David should have been off uh, at the war front with his troops, but instead he was being idle around the palace. And the story begins this way in 2 Samuel 2, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. It says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now David couldn't just leave it there. The next verse, 2 Samuel 11:3 says, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, in other words, she's another man's wife. A man who's one of David's trusted soldiers who's off fighting a war. In his lust, he sends for her and commits adultery with her she becomes pregnant and sends word back to him, letting him know. Now, instead of confessing his sin, he tries to cover it up. The first attempt was to bring Uriah, her husband, home and get him to spend the night with his wife so people would think the baby was his. Well, that didn't work because the scripture says Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. You see, he was an honorable man, a loyal to the troops who didn't have that luxury, so he denied himself that. And David's second attempt was to get Uriah drunk so he would go home. But he didn't do it then either. We can see the progression here of unconfessed sin and the desire to cover it up producing more sin. None of David's plans are working. So the logical next step is murder, right? If Uriah is dead, David can marry Bathsheba and nobody will have a problem with people knowing the child is his. In 2 Samuel 11, verses 14 and 15, if you want to look down there. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Uriah delivers his own death warrant to Joab and doesn't even know it. And this time, David's plan is successful. Uriah is killed in battle, murdered, really, by David. From lust to adultery to plotting cover-up to lying to murder, David is, David is deep into the snare of sin and unre unrepentance. In verse 27, 2 Samuel 11 says, And when the morning was over, 
mourning, meaning sorrow over death. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is complete and utter evil. And it seems that David has gotten away with it. It seems that he's not bothered by it either. But is that true? We have nothing here to suggest otherwise until we get to the next chapter. Look over at 2 Samuel chapter 12. David is caught here. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I should probably turn there, so I'm going to read it. 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. David is caught. Not only does Nathan know, but God knows. We can't hide our sin from the eyes of God. We can hide our sin from people unless God reveals it to them. Then the Lord asks a question without requiring an answer because it's obvious. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Murder and adultery are an evil, a, a despising of the word of the Lord. And the next five verses go on to pronounce judgment on David for his sin. And it's heavy. Only God spares David's life. But this sin set in motion, even though God forgave the sin, it set in motion many consequences. Okay, the Lord lays out that he's going to raise up evil against David from within his own house. The sword will never depart from his house, he says. And he's going to publicly humiliate David by other men openly committing adultery with his wives. And his child with Bathsheba will perish. Imagine the weight of this. David's sin has been exposed to all. He could try and deny, try and cover up. But his days of being like a mule are over. His response is the only godly and biblical response to sin in total brokenness and humility. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, records, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And we began the service today by reading Psalm 51, which is another of the seven penitential psalms. 
And in fact, it is like part two in this saga of David's sin. It gives the details of David's confession the day Nathan confronted him. So when you read Psalm 51, that's what it is. It goes beyond what David just said here, I have sinned against the Lord. If we thought that was David's only response, we would be wrong. That was just the beginning. And rightfully so, since our sin is first and foremost against the Lord. According to Psalm 51, David confessed his sin and pleaded with God to be merciful to him. His confession was full and complete. Going back to Psalm 51, verses 2 and 4, says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Remember, he's talking about his sin with Bathsheba and all that surrounded it. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Again, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David goes on asking things like, purge me, wash me, blot out my iniquity, give me a clean heart and a right spirit. And then he expresses his desire for others to know of God's redemption and praiseworthiness. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Psalm 51, 13 through 15. David has confessed his sin against God and acknowledged God is the only one who can be merciful towards him. He has pleaded with God for forgiveness, but where is it? Where's, where's the forgiveness? This seems to be left without resolution if you read Psalm 51. But I want you to know there is resolution. You see, we needed all of this. We needed to know all of this background so, so that part three, Psalm 32, would rise in our hearts and minds as God's full circle plan of redemption. We needed to know about this tragic sin and, and who the sin was ultimately against. We needed to hear what repentance looks like so we can see God's forgiveness and restoration on full display. And let's face it, you and I still sin against God and we sin against each other. We still have need of repentance and restoration in our lives. Though these are not in chronological order, David wrote Psalm 32 after 51 to finish the saga. This gem of a passage tells what was happening within David while he was hiding his sin, covering up his sin with Bathsheba. It tells about the confession of that sin and tells what it's like to be forgiven by God of such great sin. It also warns us about being like David when he was unrepentant. You see, the Lord knows we have need of this lesson. If, if you are caught up in holding on to and hiding sin today, I pray you will not be able to withstand the pressure that the Spirit of God is inflicting upon you to convict you of your sin. And it's, of course, for our good. 
that he would put that pressure on us. We must repent. Someone, some Christian is sitting here today and you're living in unrepentant sin. You think you're hiding it, covering it up, thinking nobody knows, thinking it's just small sin. Don't deceive yourself. God knows. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord in Jeremiah 23, 24. The answer is, no, you cannot hide yourself from God. And yes, God does fill heaven and earth. David himself declared about God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Psalm 139, 2, and four, 2 through 4. I ask you today to listen to the Spirit of God. If he's convicting you this morning with his word, maybe you too need to be reminded the man is you. The woman is you. Don't think about other people and what they are guilty of. Examine your own heart. Even through my feeble words, I hope that the hand of God is heavy on you this morning. Why? Because he will forgive your sin. And if you don't believe me, believe the word of God. We are not meant to go about with sin against God and others and be okay with it. We are meant to be a confessing and forgiving people as Christ has forgiven us. Look what the word of God says as David lays out the final scene in this saga. He starts by giving away the ending, by giving away what happens when you will humble yourself and stop despising his word. Look in our passage in Psalm 32 this morning, verses 1 and 2. A mascal of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And that word mascal means instruction. And, and here in this context, most likely being used as a musical term, but, but the following verses are to be taken as instruction in every sense. In fact, this should not be a surprise because when Nathan confronted David, he wrote and said he was going to do this. As we just read a minute ago in Psalm 51, 13 and 15, said, he said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Here he's doing just that, teaching and declaring the praise of the Lord. He's instructing us. Now David used three different terms here that we see in Scripture to describe sin. There are others, but here he uses three, and they have some nuance to them that we should understand. Transgression. This is a word describing rebellion. And one commentator said it this way, we are traitors. We are like an American soldier who joins Al-Qaeda and fights against his country in Afghanistan. We defected to the enemy. This is a deliberate defiance of God. It is our position before God, rebel. 
He says not to do something, and we do it anyway because we want to. Sin, the second word. This has the idea of missing the mark. Okay, for instance, I'm aiming at, at the target, but I miss or I, or I come up short. Though I intended to do right by God and others, I fell short. And God says, all have sinned. All have missed the mark. And that mark, of course, being perfect obedience to his law. Maybe an accident or, or an unintended offense, but still a sin. Iniquity. This should be understood as a perversion or crookedness. Also an intentional sin. This is the effect that sin has on us and our relationship with God. We are crooked and perverse people. But please don't miss what David says here. Though he has made it clear we are sinners in multiple ways, what does he say? Blessed is the one, or we could say happy is the one whose transgression, willful rebellion, is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin, missing the mark, is covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will count no iniquity or perverse crookedness, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed. We see three more words here that are attached to these words used for sin, and these describe God's action toward our sin. Again, I want you to examine yourself. What do you think about sin? Do you excuse it, thinking it's not that bad? Do you compare yourself to other people instead of Christ? Let's look at them and, and what they mean. Forgiven. That word is used here, forgiven. It's attached to our transgressions. Forgiveness means transgression is lifted or carried away. And the Lord says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In Psalm 103.12. Covered is the word used to describe how our sin is dealt with. This is a reference to the atonement for or covering of sin by Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. His sacrifice was sufficient to atone for or cover our sin. Why? Because he was sinlessly perfect. He came and lived perfectly for us. Jesus never missed the mark. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Talking about Jesus. Sin is not ignored, but covered by Jesus' death. Count is another word there. Count is used here in, in reference to iniquity. He does not count iniquity against this person. This does not mean there was no iniquity. He just doesn't charge it to you. The analogy of a credit card has been used here. You run up a bunch of charges on your card, but the bill says your balance is zero. Now, you might call the bank and ask what happened because you know you made a bunch of purchases. They would say you owe nothing. 
Not only that, no penalties. Someone else paid it. Though you're guilty of iniquity, God does not charge it to your account. To your account. This person is said to be blessed. This blessed person has benefited from all of this graciousness and kindness of God because he is found to have no deceit in his spirit. What that means is that he was but is no longer hiding his sin. He is no longer unrepentant. There is humility, honesty, and confession before God, and the result is he is blessed by God's forgiveness, covering, and declaration that he owes nothing. The bill has been paid by the one who stood in his place. Charles Spurgeon said, the mourning of a penitent is not because of hell. If there were no hell, he would mourn just as much. His grief is not for what sin might cost himself, but what it has cost the substitute. This person didn't come around because of the threats of God, though the threat of hell is real. More than that, the truly repentant person has, by God's grace, come to see the terrible offense committed by him against a holy God. That's why David said, against you and you only have I sinned. I want to direct your attention now to David's description of his condition before he repented of his sin. This may be familiar to you. You may be in the midst of it right now, and, and I would encourage you to respond and be the one who is blessed by God. Here's what David describes of himself during the time between the sin and his confession and repentance. In Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When I kept silent was the time when he was attempting to hide, to deny his sin, is when he had not opened his mouth to confess and repent to God. He describes it as the same as his bones wasting away and a nonstop groaning. This is an inner turmoil because of guilt and shame with actual physical effects on the body. Some people may have stomach problems, develop rashes or depression, aggression. You want to distance yourself from other Christians and from the fellowship of the church. You may have an intense focus on other people's sin to distract from your own or or other severe physical symptoms because of unrepentant sin. We know, don't we? Sin takes a toll on your mind and your body. It can be unrelenting. Is that describing you this morning? How long have you been putting it off? What's going on? David says here, it is the hand of God which is heavy upon you, Christian. This is exactly what guilt and shame are meant to accomplish in a person. 
They are not to be ignored, but responded to. How long will you put it off? How long had David put it off? He dug his heels in. He had to be dragged to confession and repentance by the heavy hand of God. This is God's way of instructing you. Look at verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Why did God have to do it this way? Because David is acting like a dumb, stubborn animal. Just like you and I do sometimes. So God has to use other means to get your attention. He's using these things in your life to convict and convince you of your need to repent. We won't listen. We need to have some pain inflicted and be forced to comply. We need to stop this. Verse 9, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Don't be like that. Be soft. Be easy to turn. Be sensitive to the truth, ready to repent when your sin is made known to you. Respond quickly to God's word. Think about this today. What a gracious thing that God would put his heavy hand of correction upon you. You know what this is. This is God calling you to repent and be right with him because you're his. What is the opposite? What about the person who claims to be a Christian who can sin with no guilt? You have sinned and not repented, but it doesn't bother you. You have no pressure on you, no wasting away of your bones or strength dried up as the heat of summer. You're just fine, or so you think. But are you his? Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to look at verses 5 through 8. And I want you to see how this can be a gracious thing. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Who is God disciplining? Those who are his sons and daughters. Don't regard this lightly, he says. God loves you. And his discipline is proof of that. His desire is that you would follow his leading freely, without a bit and bridle that cause pain and force the animal to move in the right direction. Don't be a mule. David didn't confess on his own, willingly. God had to press down on on him and confront him through the prophet Nathan. Only when confronted did David confess and repent. 
Isn't that true of us most of the time? Don't we hide it as long as we can, endure the pressure as long as we can? We are stubborn. Like Jonah, who God had to pursue with a violent storm on the seas and cause him to be swallowed by a fish just so he would listen to him. We should stop doing that. But why should we? Won't, won't people find out? Won't I be embarrassed or have to humble myself before other people? Yes. Might I lose some status or standing in people's eyes? Maybe. Let everything else bow the knee to our confession and repentance before a holy and righteous God. Against you and you only have we sinned. Here's why we should stop being like mules because of the promise of God found all over Scripture. And in David's words here about how God responded to his confession and repentance, look how David describes what happened. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He stopped hiding and trying to cover up his sin. He told himself, he reminded himself that God is a forgiving God. He said to himself, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what he knew of God's promises was proven, proven to be true. God forgave the iniquity of his sin. God took away the crooked, perverse sin that David had committed and been living under the burden of and hiding, and it was gone forever never to be counted against him. Why? Because God is gracious and merciful. Christian, can you see the freedom in this? Can you hear the instruction to you through David's own experience with God who keeps his promises? Here's how David instructs you now, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Everyone who's godly is describing Christians, not perfect people, but again, those who belong to God. Therefore, the word therefore here means in light of God's promise of forgiveness for sinners, you should offer prayer to him at a time where he may be found. What kind of prayer? A prayer of confession and repentance. And the rush of great waters representing the burdens and calamities and pressures of sin shall not reach you. That doesn't mean you won't experience any hardship or even consequences because of sin, but it will never have you. It will never capture you away from the Lord if you are His. Because you see, He is a hiding place for you. He preserves you from being overtaken by trouble. And He surrounds you with shouts of deliverance. You want to hide? Hide in Him. Run to Him, for He offers you freedom from the burdens of ongoing sin in your life. He offers you right relationship with Him and with others if you will confess your sin and repent and receive His forgiveness. 
This is about restoration. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And we can go back to Psalm 51.10 and see this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Why are we looking at all these verses? Because the Word of God is to be our delight. It is our guide. It's the lamp to our feet. It's the light to our path. Why wouldn't we? Christian, how often do you open the Word of God and use it to change your wrong thinking or behavior? To take God's instruction and freely follow Him without a bit in your mouth. How often do you let others use the Word of God in your life to straighten your path? Will you trust God with the outcome of repentance today? Verse 10 says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Christian, you have trusted in the Lord for salvation and benefited from his steadfast love as it surrounds you. Yes, you still sin, but have you forgotten today that your sins, including the future sins you will commit, have already been paid for by the Savior? You will not be condemned because of your sin. Stop pretending that you don't have sin because you're scared. It's not covered by God. It's not true. Believe God's promises today. Today is the day He may be found in your time of trouble. Not to condemn you, because of your sin, but to restore you again because Christ has already paid the penalty. There is gladness and rejoicing to be had today. Verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is possible because you are in the Lord. He is your refuge, your hiding place, your deliverer. Come to him with praise and a glad heart today, for the wrath of God has been satisfied by Jesus Christ, your substitute. I asked at the beginning why David wrote this psalm. And when we have the backstory, the other two episodes, we can see this is a psalm for the believer because it is saturated in gospel truth. This psalm is a psalm of penitence, yes. But if you are a Christian, this is also a reminder of the work of the gospel in your life. You have been justified, declared righteous by God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Your sins are gone and you have been set free. Blessed are you. Your iniquity is not counted against you. If you have the weight of the hand of God on you today, don't be a mule. Come to him willingly and confess. If you have sinned against a brother or sister in Christ, go to them and confess. Seek forgiveness and restoration just like God has forgiven you and restored you. You're not permitted to hold on to unrepentant sin. 
It must be dealt with within the church. We may not always do it right, but we must do it. God will give peace where it was not. We must trust that God has said what, what he has said, and we must remember that this is God's pattern once for salvation and as long as we are here on earth for the sanctification of the church. This pattern of confession, repentance, restoration. Now it would be wrong to not point out that this is also a psalm for the unbeliever because it is saturated in gospel truth. If you are not a Christian today, if you have never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you find that today you are pressed down heavy under the weight of your sin, respond today. Friend, that is the hand of God, the Spirit of God, calling you, drawing you to Himself by by exposing your sinfulness. It is a gracious thing. You cannot be made right with God by living right or by being good because the Bible says you're not even able to do those things in the first place. Only God is good. Jesus, being God himself, was good for you and offers to give you his righteousness as a free gift if you'll set aside your self-righteousness through repentance of sin and faith in his life, death, and resurrection to pay for your sin. What are you waiting for? You can tune me out and cry out to God in your heart right now in your seat. The time of grace and mercy is now because you're still alive. And Christ has not returned yet, so offer a prayer of repentance while he may be found. That means now, because if you die in your sins, you will be paying for them. Something like 8,000 people die every day in the U.S., and not one of them knew when they would take their last breath. Do you? Are you thinking, I'll repent later? A man asked a rabbi this question, how many days before he dies should a man repent? The rabbi answered, one day before he dies, and since he may die today or tomorrow, he had better repent at once. I cannot convince you of your rebellion against God, but he can. Is he doing that this morning? Will you listen? The kindest thing anyone ever did for you was done by Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins. Is he calling you today? All I or any other Christian can do is tell you he offers the only way of salvation from an eternity in hell because of your sin. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The question you must ask yourself is this, is it true? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The promise of forgiveness of sins is for you, Christian. It's for you, unbeliever. And there is no greater joy than to know your sins are forgiven. That's why David wrote this psalm. It's heavy. 
that will bring you joy today as you remember your Savior? Will it convict you of your sin? The heavy hand of God pressing you towards repentance and being made right with Him. Don't be a mule. Let's stand and pray as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for these words of Scripture about sin and its effect on our lives. But even more so, how it offends a holy God. I pray, Father, that we would come to a place this morning, whoever is in here who is living in unrepentant sin, and they know it, God, that you would be impressing upon them the gravity of that sin. But also, Lord, as we've heard from your word this morning, you offer forgiveness, covering, you offer to cast our sin away as far as the east is from the west if we will but repent and put our trust in Christ. I pray, Father, that we as Christians would not think repentance has no place in our lives now. But as we struggle with ongoing sin, Lord, may we com confess to you and repent. As we sin against brothers and sisters, may we confess and repent. And Lord, may we also, following the commands of Scripture, be willing to forgive. For Lord, you have forgiven us while we were yet your enemies. And we're so grateful. Lord, as we sing, fill our hearts with joy and gladness that we are your children, forgiven and free. Lord, do your work in the hearts of the people here today through your word. We will praise you. We will give you glory and honor because you alone are worthy. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in sending your son to be our substitute. It's in his name we pray. Amen.